Well, this morning, I want to um, continue to speak a little bit about where we were going the last few weeks. And uh, we've been speaking about evidence of our life. The evidence. What's the evidence that's following us? And what do we have that would show the Lord our true heart other than what he sees? There is a physical evidence that should be a part of all of our lives that that would follow us and would uh, give us... um, an indicator of who we really are. And um, so I want to continue to talk about that. And, and this message is, um, is one of those messages where um, I kind of battled with it this morning. I felt good about it all week. And then this morning it just kind of woke up and thinking, man, that's, I shouldn't preach that this morning. But yet I knew all week long that I should. And so I'm going to. Um, but this message actually came last week during last week's message. <laughs> and and so it kind of came together then, and I've been kind of um, stewing on it all week long. So um, I, I'm, I want to talk, continue to talk about the evidence in our life. And and you might be asking, well, Mike, are you talking about the evidence of our salvation or the evidence of our rewards in heaven? And the answer is yes, I am. I'm talking about both, because there is an evidence in our life that will talk about our salvation. There is an evidence that will reflect the nature of our heart, and there's also the evidence that will show that we have rewards laid up in heaven. Matthew, it tells us that we are to store up our treasures in heaven where where moth and rust do not destroy or thief break in and steal, right? So we are to be laying up our treasures. So there's evidence of, of salvation, and there's evidence of rewards. And I believe as a person, as we honestly evaluate ourselves, we will see the true heart that we have, and it will be the evidence that follows us. And it's important to understand that no one makes it into heaven by mistake. No one gets there without intentionally purposing on being there. You don't get there just because you're a good person. You don't get there because you're morally pure and, and good in your, in your own self. No, that you get to heaven based upon the accepting of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The blood of Christ that he shed that day for our sin is what enables us. That is our ticket to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. And then after that comes a committed daily life of loving him and serving him and pleasing him and obeying him by putting him first in everything we do. So there should be no one surprised when you get to heaven. Because, again, your evidence will show that you should be there because you will hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful. And it reminds me of the parable we spoke about a few weeks ago, the parable of the gold bags or the parable of the talents. And in that, that man, those two people, there there was three servants, and the two that came back with a return or a doubling of the investment, they knew that they were going to get a positive word because they had returned the investment. Therefore, there was no surprise to them. The only one that was surprised was the man that came and just gave whatever investment was given to him back without any return. I think that he really thought that the master was going to say, well, okay, you brought back what I entrusted you with. You didn't, wa- you didn't waste it. You didn't spend it foolishly. You brought it back. And I believe that he was expecting to hear, well done, thou good and faithful. But that's not what he heard. He didn't hear. He was surprised 
because he heard the master say, you are a wretched, evil, lazy servant, and cast this man outside where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This was a big surprise for him. So there will be people that will be surprised come judgment day because they think today that they are doing the things that would be pleasing the Lord. But if they're not really listening and obeying the word of God, then there'll be a surprise that day for them. So I think that as we do the right things by evaluating our life, by looking at the evidence of our life today, that we can be sure that we will not be surprised that day, that we will have that evidence that will follow us, and that we will not have to worry that day about what's he going to say? What's he going to say to me? Is he going to say, well done? Is he going to say that? You know what? We can have the assurance today that Jesus is going to say, well done, Rick. Well done, Hannah. Well done, Grace. Well done. Well done, guys. You did a good job while you were on earth, and therefore, come in and share your master's happiness. Amen. That's what we want. So, the, so this message began last week in my heart as I was reading in the passage of James um, the precursor of our text. Now, our text last week was on sheep and goats, but the precursor of it was in James chapter 1, verse 27, and this is our text for the day. James chapter 1, verse 27, and it says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And what I'm going to focus on today is the last part of that, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But before we dig into this, let's go back and let's read the verses prior to this. In the same passage in James, go back in your Bible, if you would, James chapter 1, starting at verse 19, and let's see what, what leads up to this. Let's, let's read the context of this message. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now let's stop there for a minute. See, we have the choice this morning. When you hear a word of God, when you read the Bible, when you hear a preacher or a teacher teach or preach, you have the choice in how you're going to hear that word. You can either be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, or you can become quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to become angry because somebody's pushing your buttons, because somebody's stepping on your toes a little bit here. Because it says human anger does not produce a righteousness that comes from God or that God desires. So therefore, James says, get rid of that. Get rid of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And here's the, the key, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do you hear the difference on that? If I am quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, then that word that's being spoken into me can save me. What better thing can I expect than God's word to save me? But if I don't receive it correctly, maybe that same word would curse me if I choose to get angry. All right? So that's just kind of a, a pretext to what 
uh, James has continued to say. Then he continues on in verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whatever, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, remember that word freedom? We talked about that last week. What is that freedom? The law that gives freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin that is bondage, that is condemnation, that is guilt, that is slavery. We can have freedom from all of that when we look intently into the law or the teaching of God's word and do what with it? Just listen to it? No, we have to obey it. We have to do it. We have to apply it. We can't just listen to it. We have to learn what it says and apply it in our life and then take action on it. And so that then it becomes real. Then it becomes a freedom giver, not a guilt maker, not a condemner. The devil brings the guilt. The devil brings the condemnation. But the perfect law brings freedom. All right. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. James answered it right there. They will be blessed in what they do. Verse 26, for those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So this morning, as we look at our text, and as we, and as we get into what does it mean to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, let's just pray that the Lord will open up our, eye, our, our eyes and our ears. Can you pray for a minute? Let's just pray and ask the Lord. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. And God, I'm asking that you would open up our spiritual ears and eyes and our understanding to what the Word has to say to us today. Lord, we do know the time is short. And as a result, we know the enemy is on fire to destroy. He is on fire to come in and deceive. He is doing, he's working overtime to bring in uh, distractions. And he's bringing overtime, working overtime to bring in all kinds of destruction in our lives. And Lord, we stand against it now in Jesus' name. And God, we're asking you to open our hearts so that we can humbly accept the word that is going to be planted in our hearts today so that we can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So again, our text, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, isn't it interesting that James is using two extremely opposite instructions of what is pleasing to God and necessary to serve him in the same verse? In other words, he's saying what God accepts as pure and faultless is doing something for others. And then he says regarding ourselves that we are to keep ourselves from being polluted or stained or corrupted by the world. How does one impact the other? How does this all fit together? Why he would say that there is a religion that is pure and faultless, and then he talks about us keeping ourselves being polluted from the world in the same verse. And so I think that... I know that in the past, I've kind of read through that and kind of, I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures that I read a lot, sometimes I just kind of skip by the last part of it. And it's almost like he's saying, okay, I want you to take care of widows and I want you to take care of orphans. And then it, he just kind of throws it at the tail end and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. It's kind of a, like the, just a way to finish the sentence. 
But I don't think God ever puts in Scripture just something to fill in the end of the sentence. <laughs> I think he puts everything in there with, quite, with, with very good reason. And that there's a reason why we have to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. And maybe that is so that we can really take care of widows and orphans. And we're going to dig into that a little bit later as we move on. But what does the word polluted mean? Well, there are a couple definitions of this word, word that can be applied and in, 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 in are very interesting as we apply them in this way. Number one, pollute. What does it mean to pollute? The, defin the definition in a dictionary says this, to make land, water, air, etc., dirty and not safe or suitable to use. In other words, to contaminate an environment, especially with man-made waste. <laughs> it's interesting here that the definition in the dictionary See, says pollution is man-made waste. You know, we can look around outside and we can see the leaves falling off trees as we've seen this fall. And, you know, it looks bad as it falls on the ground, but that's not pollution. What's pollution is when we see plastic bags and styrofoam cups and paper strewn around the ground. That's pollution. What falls from naturally from the trees eventually will be, will, will, will be um, what's the word am I thinking? Decomposed. Thank you for paying attention. That it can be decomposed and that it can actually become a value to the ground because it, it brings nourishment back to the ground. But if I leave a plastic bag in the ground, it's not going to decompose, is it? And it's certainly not going to bring nourishment to the ground. So the pollution here is man-made. Interesting, and we're going to see that as it comes further into a spiritual world. Another definition of it, of pollute, is to make ceremonially, ceremonially or morally impure or unclean. So both of these, these, these um, definitions have great application as we apply them later in the sermon. But let's go back. Is James the first in Scripture to use this concept of becoming polluted in our spiritual life? Or are there other references earlier on in Scripture that talk about being polluted? Well, to answer that question, there are other references. And I want to talk about a couple of them today. We have an Old Testament reference in, in Ezra where the people of God are being taught about staying morally pure and how they are to not intermingle and intermarry with the non-Jewish people of the day and the, how important it is that God wants a pure uh, bloodline. And he talks then about them in the book of Ezra about how what happens when they intermarry and how they marry unequally. And in all honesty, that's a huge teaching right there that we can talk about another, but that's a whole other topic in how we choose our mates and how we make sure that we marry correctly inside our faith, Right? But let's read Ezra, what he says. Ezra chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. It says, but now our God, and what can we say after this? He says, for we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants and the prophets when you said, the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. By their detestable practices, they have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. So here by them ignoring God's commands to stay pure, they've polluted the land. They've polluted their bloodlines. So there is, a, there is a reference there where pollution can come into the life of a person or a people when the commands of God are forsaken. 
that the commands of God are forsaken. And we're not the first ones to forsake the commands of God. <laughs> the Old Testament is full of the Jewish people forsaking the commands of God. Proverbs also speaks of how a righteous person that brings compromise into their life also gives way to um, how they can be polluted how they can pollute their life as well. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 26. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. The righteous who give way to the wicked or a compromising spirit can pollute one's life. It's what we do with our choices. They can either keep our life pure or they can pollute our life. Jude speaks about how the people of his day polluted their own bodies and how they rejected godly authority. Jude chapter 1 verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. So there is a great danger in allowing oneself to be polluted by the world in the form of compromise. Whether you're a godly person or an ungodly person, the pollution will bring a separation from God. So where does the pollution now that James come, that he's talking about, where does it come from? Where does it come from in our lives? If we're to, stay, if we're to keep ourselves from being polluted, where does the pollution come from? Well, he says that it's being polluted by the world. What is the world? What does the world mean here in this context? Well, the Greek word here is cosmos, meaning on a broad meaning that it's the world we live in. Or it's the worldly system we're a part of. It's not trees. It's not the green grass. That's not the world we're talking about. It's the worldly system. It's the influences of the world apart from God's influence. That's the world that James is talking about that brings the, the negative or that brings that polluted environment into us. So we can have both external and internal influences of this pollution. Let's talk about that for a minute. What is an external force? What is the external force that brings uh, this pollution? Well, it would be temptation. Temptation. Now, all men are tempted. We all are tempted, but not all men give in to it. You don't have to give in to temptation. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to give in. Does it? No, we don't have to give in. It's always a choice made. There's always a choice made with temptation by me or by you to either allow that temptation to settle in my mind, to settle in my spirit, and to take root, or for me to reject it and to uh, fight against it. John gives us even more direct reference to the worldly temptations that we face. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Again, we're not talking about the grass. We're not talking about the earth. We're talking about the worldly system. Do not love the worldly system or anything in the worldly system. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So that is a great definition of what James is talking about when he says that there is the worldly influence that brings in this pollution. And thank God that we're not alone to deal with that. Because Scripture tells us that we have power 
We have power to overcome this worldly temptation. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. He prayed in, his Lord, in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So prayer is important that we can pray ourselves out of temptation. Jesus also said in Luke chapter 22, verse 40, on reaching the place that he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Again, how we ask Jesus to help us, how we keep our life focused in prayer and focused on him as our source to stay away from the worldly temptation that would pollute us. The power of Jesus is stronger than the power of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Isn't that great that God just doesn't send us into an ungodly world without any help? That he sends us there specifically that we are to be in the world but not of the world. And that he gives us the power. He gives us the authority. He gives us the strength. He gives us the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom to keep us from falling into the pollution of the world. So that we are not un- so we're unstained. And we're not, we're not marked by the worldly system, even though we live in the worldly system. I thank the Lord for that. Every time I think of my kids in, at college or in the workforce, that's not godly that how we can pray for them, that the Lord will keep them strong in that, in that influence, that ungodly influence in a college environment. I know that we're, Zach and, you know, Zach and, and, and Jenna are down at Ferris, you know, and uh, all that stuff. And we pray for them on a regular basis, and our, and our other kids are as well, other different areas in college, and we pray for them. And it's, um, it's amazing that we have that strength, that God will help them and provide a way out. Now, what about the internal sources of temptation? Can we blame all of this on external? Or do we have any responsibility internally? Well, what is internal sources of temptation? And, and what do they look like? And how do we handle them? 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9-10 through 10, tells us that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So maybe our internal desires can be a source of pollution. Maybe my love for the worldly pleasures can be a source of pollution that would come into my life internally. I can't blame the devil for that. No, that's my desire. My love for money. My love for the good things of this world, of the worldly system, can be a source of pollution. It's the desires that come from inside the person that are bringing them the temptation, and that can bring much destruction, trouble, and ruin, and grief into the man's life because we've allowed that greed and that eagerness of temporary fulfillment, that eagerness to be temporarily satisfied by what the world gives us at the expense of long-term eternity. You know, a little example here. Just let me tell you, uh, Zach is a freshman at Ferris, and, you know, there's a thing called redshirting in the sports world. And what that means is, well, first of all, when you go into college, you have four years of eligibility to play sports. 
And if you go in as a redshirt freshman, that means that you can practice with the team. That means you can travel with the team. That means you can eat with the team. It means you can be totally a part of the team, but you can't play that first year. Meaning now that you haven't spent a year of eligibility, so now you can have four more years after that to play. So you, have, you can be a fifth-year senior and have eligibility to play. Well, you know what? That sounds really easy. But for a young person, Jenna redshirted her freshman year at, at Ferris in volleyball. Zach is redshirting his freshman year of basketball. It takes a lot of strength, of character, to be able to do that and to be able to, to be successful at that. And especially at a young age when you just are so impatient. I just want to play. But yet, you know, he, he's so smart, so wise in thinking long-term because he'll have his fourth year of eligibility rather than wasting it as a freshman and getting very little playtime. He'll be a fifth-year senior and be a stud on the team. And he'll be the real leader of the team. And come his fifth-year senior year, he's going to be so glad that he, forego, he forewent his freshman year and he didn't get much playtime. You know, that is just an example of how we, in our Christian life, need to think about long-term eternity plans. Rather than thinking about how I'm going to get well, all I can get out of this world, I'm going to work a little harder, get a little more money, so I can spend it my pleasures a little bit longer. You know, five minutes after your death, you're going to be really thankful that you didn't do that. You're going to be really thankful that you put your focus on Christ and Christ alone and you want nothing but eternal rewards. That is the long-term planning. That is the long-term thinking that keeps us from polluting ourselves with the worldly system. That is so key and it's so important. James says in chapter, verse, chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, continuing more about internal temptations, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire, their own evil desire, and are enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There it is, that internal desire of, I want to satisfy me, I want to put me first is the thing that brings the pollution that I'm being to be guarded against. So, very powerful. But, James, again, I love James because he tells us the problems and then he gives us the source for the solution. How do we fight this? How do we battle both the external and the internal temptations that would come, us, that would come to us that would want to pollute our hearts, our lives? James chapter 4. Memorize these two verses. Memorize these two verses. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Here's the formula. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So he is giving us the power as we first submit ourselves to God. And then we have to have the personal integrity to resist the devil. See, we have a part in this too. We just can't say it's God's fault. As old Flip Wilson would say, the devil made me do it. 
Now, that's a cute little line, and it made it for some funny skits on his show. But that's not true to reality, is it? The devil had brought it. He enticed you, or you allowed yourself to be enticed. But as I submit to God, and then I resist the devil, God does his work by chasing the enemy away. I don't chase them away. I have no power in Mike way to chase the devil. But as I submit to God, and as I draw close to him, and as I allow him to be my focal point, he then will drive the devil from me. And where Jesus is, the devil will, the devil will not and cannot stay. So let's talk about our definition of being polluted a little bit more, polluted, and, and how that impacts our evidence and our ability to help those that we're called to help in this fallen world. How do we bring this together? Well, first of all, whatever is polluted pollutes whatever it touches. A polluted river pollutes the other river that it flows into or the lake that it flo flows into. Certainly, there is a certain element of dilution, but at, but at the same time, it's still polluted. It's still polluted. What I touch, if I'm a polluted person, then my pollution is going to flow out of me and it's going to touch somebody else. Polluted, polluted things pollute other things. How does this fit in? Well, if I'm going to help people that are less fortunate than I, then I must have a purity of my heart and life. I must have a pure heart. I, I cannot have a polluted heart. I cannot have a heart with another agenda. I can't have a heart about, well, I'm going to help that person, but I really have another agenda as to how I'm helping them because I want to get something out of them. That's pollution. That's not helping them. That's not being pure and faultless. That's not religion that God is going to be pleased with because why? He sees our heart, doesn't he? He sees the intent of our heart. So if I'm going to help somebody, I must help them out of a pure and faultless motive based upon love, based upon the love of Jesus. And here's what's really cool. Jesus had a way of dealing with the world and being a part of the world but never being polluted by the world. See, he fit in, but he didn't do it at the expense of his witness. He didn't do it at the expense of his testimony. He didn't do it at the expense of being a righteous savior. Because if he would have done anything that would have polluted himself, he would not have been the sacrifice that would have been for our sins, would he? He's perfect. He never sinned. But yet, but yet, he had a way of dealing with the world. And this is something we need to learn from a little bit about. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked, he, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, he had to eat with them. He had to, he had to be with them so that he could be a part of them and witness to them. But, 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 we never see Jesus compromising his own integrity. That's so important, guys, that we understand that because we can think, well, I have to be part of the world and the way I'm going to be part of the world, I'm going to have to drink with them. I'm going to have to tell dirty jokes with them. I'm going to have to read bad magazines with them. I'm going to have to get down to their level so that I can then clean them up and bring them up. Well, that doesn't work. When, when, you know, if you, when Jesus and when, when Peter was jumped out of the boat and when he was sinking in the water, what's so cool about it is that Jesus never got into the water with Peter to save him. 
right? Peter was sinking. Jesus stayed on top of the water and reached his hand down and pulled him up. But he didn't get down in the water with him. Symbolically, we can't get down into the dirt of the world and think we're going to save anybody. You can't do it. Because all it does is it ruins your testimony. It ruins your witness. We need to be pure and faultless before the world if we're going to help the world. Make sense? If I have a vice, I have to get rid of that vice. If I have a habit that is making me fit into that world, if, if I have a habit that's making me like them, how can I help them? Think about your life a little bit. See, we have things, we have, we have pollution in our life. And rather than seeing it for what it is, we give it a pet little name. Instead of looking at the sin that really it is because it's keeping me from being the testimony and the witness that I need to be, we just make it and say, oh, that's just my personality. It's just a habit I have that I can't break. Ah, do you see the compromise? Do you see how that can subtly destroy our witness? See, if we're really going to be like Christ, then we have to be like Christ. <laughs> Do you see that? We have, to, we have to put away the things of the world that, would, that we would think is helping us fit in, and we have to rise above that, not self-righteously, but that is humbly accepting the word that is planted in you. Amen? Humbly accepting the word that's planted in you that would keep me from being polluted into the world. Christ was perfect. I know I can't be perfect. I know you can't be perfect. But my desire should be perfect. My desire should live a perfect life. I shouldn't allow myself to be compromised. I shouldn't allow myself to continue in those things that I know are worldly I know that are associating me with the world. If I see them to be hampering my witness, I need to have enough character to be Christ-like to say, I got to break that. I got to submit it to God. I got to submit that habit. Submit that language. Submit that drink. Submit whatever it is to God. And then let him remove it from me. I'm not talking about cleaning myself up to be acceptable by God. I'm talking about allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to clean me up so that, I'm, so that I'm an acceptable and I'm a worthy witness and testimony in this world. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse, verse 1. It says, follow God's example. And there, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint. What's a hint? What's a hint? Yeah, a perception, a look like. Somebody could maybe see something. They could read in. They could read between the lines. A hint. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. See, we could took look at that and say, we, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, and, and just stop there, because I don't think we're sexually immoral here. And I think, see, this doesn't apply to me, because they're talking about sexually immoral people. Well, continue to read. Or any kind of impurity. 
any kind of impurity. That covers it all, folks. That's the whole gamut. There's nothing, there's none of us left out here now in this one. Or greed, because these are improper. Verse 4, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, there should be thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, that's all of us again, okay, it fits all of us, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is where we need to read the word of God and humbly accept the word planted in us. We could be in James, and we could get angry, we could get offended, we could say, oh, he's meddling again, or whatever, and that's not going to save you. An attitude that's going to save you is saying, wow, man, there are some things in my life. Wow, I didn't think, I never saw it that way before. But that thing I do, that thing I've done, you know what? That's impure. It's improper. It's a hint of impurity in my life. And God's Word says, of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Do you see how serious this is? Do you see how we can take the petty little things that we just call our little personality flaws, our little habits, our little things of blending into the world? The devil wants us to stay that way. The devil wants us to see those things as not serious. But when I read God's word, I see them to be very serious. Do you? How do you read it? How do you read this? See, perception is reality in the mind of people. What they perceive me as ruins my testimony if I'm not pure in their eyes. Now, I'm not saying perfect. I know we make mistakes. But what I willingly do, what I willingly, you know, I... I was really tempted to come in this morning dressed like a really bad person. To come in with reeking of alcohol. Reeking of all kinds of stuff. And saying, is this what you think of Jesus? Is that how you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus ever mingling with the people and then getting sloppy drunk? Do you see him ever mingling with the people to walk out like them, stained by them? No. Jesus had the ability to walk in this world and to stay pure. And he's given us the same ability if we so desire. And if we so choose, take the habits that are filthy and do what the right thing to do. Destroy them. Say, I can't break that habit. It's too strong. That's not too strong. There's no habit that's too strong for the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you break if you want to break it. If you want to break it, then do it. That's the only way that you're going to be able to righteously have evidence that's going to follow you and lead you into the kingdom of God. See, the devil wants confusion in this world. Jesus wants clarity in this world. Jesus wants clarity of our mission. He wants clarity of our purpose. 
the devil wants to bring all kinds of confusion in. We have, a, we have, the, we have the unbiblical interpretation of our rights as a Christian person. That we can, because we live in the era of grace, that I can live the way I want to live and still be called a Christian because it doesn't send me to hell. I'm going to pick on drinking a little bit because that's a big one for me. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying a beer is going to send anybody to hell, but I'm not going to say it isn't either. See, because when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, it tells me some, some things about being a stumbling block. Stumbling blocks can send people to hell. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Now, I, don't, I know we don't have idols today, so maybe we have a hard time appreciating what that means. But for those people at that day, the food that was sacrificed to an idol was considered devil's food. It was considered impure, improper, unholy. Now, for the Christian of the day that knew that that idol was nothing more than just a piece of stone, they knew that that food was not contaminated. So for them, they could eat that without having to feel like they were eating devil's food. But for those new Christians that were still trying to figure this all out, if they saw another Christian eating that food, it would just upset them greatly to think, oh, what are they doing? I thought that was bad. I thought that was devil food. See how that brings confusion? The same way when we have the worldly influences of drinking, smoking, partying, joking, all those things that would just seem part of the world, see how the devil wants to bring confusion by bringing a Christian into that world? See, we need to walk in that world but stay above it, not get down in it. And when I get down in it, all of a sudden now there's confusion in the marketplace. I thought you were a Christian. Why are you doing that? Well, because I have the freedoms to do that. Well, then do I? Well, I don't know. See how the confusion happens with that people? But let's continue on. So verse 11. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. That is the purposeful heart of a Christian person that puts people, the love of people, before the love of themselves. That's why I don't drink. That's why I don't do other things that would be considered improper. Could I go to the casino and throw $5 on the blackjack table and play and not go to hell? Yeah. But what about the guy sitting next to me and thinks, I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were a Christian. Well, all of a sudden, what have I done? I've ruined, I've weakened his conscience. What happens if I, what happens if I want to go to McDonald's and I want to have three Whoppers, or that's Big Burger King, three Whoppers, and I'm just going to gorge myself with Whoppers? See, I know that we will pick on smokers but we in the Christian world don't pick on fat people. Oh. I know. Watch it here. I'm getting on thin ground. But the point is, see, 
All right, I'm watching it, Chris. The point is, I just got the word from my wife to watch it. I'm on thin ground now. The point is, if I'm going to be consistent, and if I recognize that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, do I not want to take care of that to the best that I can? Do I not want to honor that and, and treat it with respect and honor? Why would I bring things that would pollute my body inward by my own choice? Why would I gorge myself? Why would I fill my lungs with smoke? Why would I do all these things that would pollute my body? Let the Lord deal with you on this. I'm not bringing condemnation or conviction in your heart, but let the Lord deal with you and how you deal with it. If you have one of those habits, if, you, if you're an overeater, if you're an overindulger in anything, let the Lord deal with you on that. I'm going to move on. Because if I want to have a true witness, if I want to have a true witness, I have to keep my religion pure and faultless, not polluted by the world. Amen? So, Jackie, we're not even going to play because I know the, the hour's late. I know there's food next door. And I know this is probably not a good message for Pastor Appreciation Sunday. <laughs> because you're probably all going to poison my food. Or you're going to be watching how much I eat. I'm not eating much today. But I just want to, I just want to take the time right now. I just want to pray. And I just want the Holy Spirit to actively work in your heart today. And I want you, if you would, please, please, please let the Holy Spirit do the work because we don't have time, folks. The time is short. We're going to hear about the shortness of time over the next three nights. We're going to hear the, how quickly we are ending, moving into the end of time. And we don't have time to play games. If you're battling with something that you know you need help with, can we pray with you? We would love to pray with you. We would love to help you get free from, the, from those things that would be binding you up. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a thought life. I don't care if it's food. I don't care if it's alcohol or cigarettes or any other addiction to any other drug. I don't care what it is. If you want to be set free, submit yourselves then unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But you have to do it. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I am just so thankful that you bring truth into our hearts and our lives in a loving way. God, that we can see the truth for what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to bring freedom. And it's supposed to bring clarity of mission, clarity of purpose. So Father, I pray for if there was any confusion today, that is of the devil. And I pray it out in Jesus' name. So I pray that every heart and every mind today would be clear in what the direction is for their life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, now for us that struggle with some areas in our hearts and lives, because we all do, God, would we lay them down at the altar today? Would we lay them down before you today? This morning, I just want to take a few minutes now, and I want to open the altar just for a couple minutes, because I just want to put a stake in the ground here. For those this morning that are struggling with something, I don't care what it is, if you're struggling with something that you want to be broken, would you stand up? And would you just come down in front of this altar and can we just pray about it? I don't care what it is. I don't care what it, it, how it manifests itself. But if you're struggling with something that you need help with, you're not alone. You're not alone. 
would you just come down so we can just say, God, we're putting a stake in the ground right now. Devil, we're letting you know that we have something to fight against. And we want you to be help. We want you, the devil, to know that your, 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 your day is short. That we're going to just pray and that the Lord is going to deliver us from the habits, from the things in our life that we know are not pleasing in your sight. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I just come and I repent of my sin. I repent of the things that I don't do right. And Lord, I just pray for all of us this morning that our hearts would be opened and that our pride would be laid on the floor before you right now. And we would say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Lord, I pray for those that have stepped up here this morning and those that I know in their hearts and minds. I pray, God, that you will help us that you will help us break those bondages and give us freedom in our life, that we don't have to have the guilt. We don't have to have the regret later on when we have the consequences of these things come to bear. I pray, Jesus, for freedom. I thank you for your mercy and your grace. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.